Did You Hear podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. We are nine days away from April 1st, which is opening day of the 2021 Major League Baseball regular season. I will spend each day in March previewing all 30 Major League Baseball teams in alphabetical order. So, today is March 23rd, and I continue on with the Minnesota Twins. We are nine days away now, nine days, single digits, we're getting close, and I'm really excited to talk about the Twins today. As usual, we'll go through history, off-season work, position battles, starting pitching, relief pitching, bench prospects before I finish with the philosophy of on the Twins this season. The, the Twins are an interesting one, and the AL Central is the interesting division to watch it seems like a lot of divisions in all of baseball, there, there's a really solid one-two punch. And I think you can say the same thing about the AL Central with the White Sox and the Twins. So let's get right into it. The Twins have been successful in the past. However, they have a playoff hump that they have not been able to overcome. In 2020, they were 36-24 and 24 in their 60-game season. They won the AL Central. They got bounced by the Astros early. In 2019, they went 101 in 61, surpassed that 100 win mark. They won the Central. They were the Bama squad in back in 2019. They hit a major league record 307 team home runs. They were bounced early in the playoffs that year. In 2018, they were 78 and 84. They finished second in the Central that year and didn't make the playoffs. And then in 2017, they were 85 and 77. Came in second in the Central, but got a wild card berth and got bounced early. This Twins team, as successful as they've been in the past few years, and as well-rounded and well-coached and well-balanced this roster and this organization has been, they have not won a playoff game since 2004. Since that last win in 2004, Minnesota has lost... 18 consecutive playoff games, which is the longest playoff losing streak in North American professional sports history. 18 games spanning back to 2004. It doesn't matter how good their team is. It doesn't matter how good their offense is. We saw that in 2019. It doesn't matter how good their defense is. We see that every year. They cannot win in the playoffs, and it has just been such a brutal stretch for the players and the coaches and the organization and, of course, the fan base. And they made a lot of moves this season that you would think would put them over the hump, but you've thought that the past few years, too. So let's recap their offseason. A ton of additions because they had a ton of departures. So I'll start with the departures first. They lost their starting pitcher, Jake Udorizzi, who was out the, without a job until March where he was finally signed with the Astros over in the AL West. They lost their outfielder and really a star of this franchise, left fielder Eddie Rosario. He went to another AL team. You have Trevor May went to the Mets. Rich Hill, another solid veteran piece in their bullpen, uh, in their starting rotation left. Sergio Romo is no longer on the team. Tyler Clippard, another bullpen piece, is no longer on the team. And they also lost their super utility man, Marwin Gonzalez, to the Boston Red Sox. To offset some of that, they did have a busy offseason. They added former White Sox reliever Alex Colomay, 
White Sox went out and added Liam Hendricks. So the Twins went out and took their old reliever right from them, from their division rivals. They also picked up arguably the best defensive shortstop in the history of the game, Andrelton Simmons, Jay Happ from the Yankees, and Hansel Robles, another closer from the Los Angeles Angels. There are a lot of bench pieces on this team. I think they are potentially the most equipped team in the case of injuries. I truly think they have one of the best depth cores in the league, AL and NL. And there are a couple positions still up for grab when it comes to opening stay. So let's get into it. Start off with Mitch Garver, who didn't make his major league debut at catcher until age 26. So he's a late bloomer there. But in 2019, he was an absolute star. He won his first silver slugger. People thought that he would really he would stay this way forever, and the the excuse me the Twins would have a solid catcher for years and years. And then in 2020, he went out and hit 167 with a 42 OPS plus. That's not going to cut it. And because of that. A, another catcher on the roster, their backup guy now in 2021 too, Ryan Jeffers, a young guy split time with, with Garver when he was struggling both production-wise and with injuries. So I think Garver is the opening day guy. If he starts putting up the same numbers that he did in 2020, I think Jeffers could intervene quicker than people might think. That being said, I don't think Garver is anywhere Close to the numbers he had in 2019, but also nowhere close to the horrible numbers he had in 2020. I think he finds the median, and I think he is he is okay in this lineup. I don't I don't think he does anything to necessarily elevate this team like he did in 2019, but he doesn't absolutely doom him, doom the team like he did in 20. Now at first base, we have Miguel Sano. This guy, I mean, the numbers are always there despite not being able to do much defensively, getting up there in age not very athletic. I mean, the end of 2019, in his final 74 games, he hit 271 with 25 homers and 64 RBIs in that 74-game stretch. Since the start of 2019 until now, he slugged 544 with 47 homers in just under 160 games. So those numbers are still there. I think people undervalue how much Sano can bring to a lineup it's just because in 2020, and, and a lot of times in his career, the batting average number in, isn't there. And interestingly, not a lot of Twins players have great batting averages. They're not bad hitters. They just have bad batting averages. And as the game has evolved, batting average isn't even top 10 in terms of the most important offensive statistics. OPS Plus is... And Miguel Sano was above league average in 2020. So he slots in at first base. At second base, you see Jorge Polanco, who switches over from short to second because of the addition of Angleton Simmons. Jorge Polanco, I think, will thrive at second. He was never a natural shortstop. He struggled defensively. In fact, in 2019, listen to this, he ranked 154th out of 155 infielders with a minus 18 outs above average. To give some perspective, Simmons Simmons finished fourth in that category in outs above average. So 
They'll move Polanco to potentially a more comfortable position at second. He struggled in 2020 because of injuries. He has now had two straight off seasons with ankle surgery. They're saying now that he's fully healthy, whereas he wasn't in 20. In 2019, they're hoping to, to for Polanco to get back to that form. He was an all-star. He had an 841 OPS. He was up there for the batting title. He was a leadoff hitter at times for the Twins. He can really be a force in this lineup. And if they can take the pressure off him in the field, I actually think that makes his offensive numbers go up. Now we move to Josh Donaldson, the 35-year-old third baseman, the most expensive free agent in Minnesota Twins history. He signed a four-year $92 million deal last January. The biggest problem with Donaldson, he has an MVP in his career already. He's won the AL MVP back in 2015. Donaldson can't stay healthy. And it didn't prevent him from getting the bag, obviously, the contract that I just told you about. And he was very, very good with Atlanta before he secured that bag. But in 2020, he missed 32 of 60 games in all the postseason, which could have added or, you know, kept the Twins, prevented the Twins from breaking that streak. In 2017, he missed 38 games. And in 2018, he played only 52. He had an absolutely electric 2019 season with Atlanta. He signed for all that money. And then he was back to being hurt in 2020. So, 2021, it will be interesting. I said it before, staying healthy is a skill. That's something Josh Donaldson needs to hone. When he is on the field, the Twins are heads and shoulders better than they are when he's not. The the most interesting thing about Donaldson, and it puts into perspective just how elite and game-changing he can be for a team, in his career, he's topped 125 games in a season just five times. All five of those times, he placed 11th or better in league MVP voting. And he ended up winning the AL MVP in 2015 with the Blue Jays. So Donaldson, the age shouldn't be a factor. He can still produce. It's just whether he can stay healthy and whether he can be out there for as many games as possible where the Twins are really going to need him. I mean, when he signed... The Twins were coming off the year where they hit 307 home runs and they went out and added Josh Donaldson, who was one of the best hitters in the National League in 2019. And he didn't perform to expectations. The Twins' offense didn't perform to expectations. Their offense actually went from number two in 2019 and run scored to number 10 in 2020 in the AL and run scored. If Donaldson can stay healthy and find that 2019 form, he will rake for Minnesota. Shortstop, not necessarily someone that's going to rake, but Andrelton Simmons provides so much value to any team he is on because of how exceptionally elite he is. In the field, he's a four-time gold glover. As I mentioned, in 2019, he ranked fourth among infielders in outs above average. He only signed a one-year deal, so it potentially leaves room for the Twins to part ways with him next year to clear space for the top prospect in their organization, Roy Lewis, Royce Lewis, who is a shortstop. But I think this year, as the Twins are still competing and as Royce Lewis is out with a torn ACL for the year, Simmons was the perfect guy to slot in. The Twins have enough offense anyway where you don't need him to hit above 
300 and 20 plus home runs, which he really won't do anyway. He actually did hit 297 in 2020, but only in 95 OPS plus. So he's not going to hit for power. What he can do is play elite defense along with elite defense in center field and third base and left field and right field like so many other players on this Twins team can. Now let's move to that outfield. I'm going to go out on a limb here and give the benefit of the doubt to Major League Baseball, even though I'm not sure that they deserve it. I think Alex Kirilov will be the opening day left fielder for the Minnesota Twins. And the reason why I prefaced it with that comment is because he might be starting in the minors because the Twins organization want to manipulate his service time. And if they do that, they keep him in the minors. They get to keep him around longer without paying him, basically. Did the same thing to Chris Bryant, most notably. Kevin Mather, the whole saga with the Mariners, and Jared Kalenic. That was why. That's why this has been such a hot-button issue in Major League Baseball. Honestly, I think it's more likely that he does start in the minors, but he is Major League ready. And it'll just create so many more problems for baseball if he does start in the minors because he's shown in this spring training that's happening as we speak that he's ready. He showed last season when his first career at bat at the major league level was in the postseason. He made the postseason roster for the Twins, went out there, and got regular seasons at bat. He was the 15th overall pick in 2016. Kirilov is ready to make an impact at the big league level. It's just going to come down to whether the Twins want to want to put him there. And, and it's really a shame, and it's really something that needs to change. Donald Josh Donaldson actually has been one of the more outspoken players on this topic, and he plays on the same team. So we'll see if that have anything to do with it. I'm going to, again, give Major League Baseball the benefit of the doubt because the bottom line is that executive and managers and general managers should be putting the best players possible on the field. And if the Twins want to win, the best player they have to put in left field is Alex Kirilov. Center field, now you've got a guy that you can 100% expect. It's Byron Buxton. Buxton has been known for his entire career when he was brought up in 2012 for his speed in center field and for being a gold glove caliber center fielder. Lately, Buxton's offensive numbers have really come along with it. He hit 16 home runs in 2020, which he really hasn't even come close to. If that was drawn out for the entire season, that would have been close to 30. He also slugged 570. That was actually 13 home runs, but just under. Another, it's the injury bug for Buxton too. That is his biggest weakness. As good as his offensive numbers are becoming, he actually has the fourth best OPS among Major League Baseball center fielders behind guys like Mike Trout, hello, George Springer, Ronald Acuna Jr. Buxton's numbers are really there, and he's obviously there defensively. Since 2019, he's only played 126 out of 222 possible games. That's not going to cut it if the Twins want to break their horrible playoff season drought. Right fielder, Max Kepler, another guy that you can count on. Another guy, again, whose batting average is, frankly, bad. It's bad, but the other power numbers are there. He had a 108 OPS plus in 2020, despite hitting 228 
In the past two seasons, he's just under 250. His slugging percentage is just under 500. He has 45 homers. He's a very solid leadoff option and a right field option for the Twins. Before I get into the bench, of course, I have to mention the boomstick Nelson Cruz. They re-signed him this year because, of course, they had to. Nelson Cruz needs to be a Twins player for life. He's 40 years old. Age is not stopping him. He's truly going up against father time here. Only Ted Williams and Barry Bonds had a higher OPS than Nelson Cruz at age 38 and 39. Nelson Cruz is in some pretty elite company. And it's not even just his age group. He has had the second highest OPS in baseball since joining the Twins just a few years ago. His career in Minnesota, he's hit over 300 just about 60 home runs, 141 RBIs. He's finished in the top 10 in for league MVP in both seasons, 169 OPS plus in 2020. It's truly unbelievable how Nelson Cruz year in and year out can just produce in this in this lineup and I expect nothing different in his age 40 season in 2021. He is truly defying time. And what I was most excited to talk about is this Twins bench. So usually you have One position battle that is potentially up for grabs for opening day. That's what I've been seeing a lot of in the previous season previews that I've done. Here, the three bench options that I'll mention could all see 200-plus at-bats. And the Twins have utilized a super utility man in years past. It's been Marwin Gonzalez. It's been a few other guys in the system who are there in case somebody gets injured, which of course you have to account for, but also because they're just good players that deserve at-bats, and it gives the Twins the positional and lineup flexibility that they can mix things up a little bit. So one of those guys is Luis Arias. In 124 career games, he's hit 331. He has more walks in his career than strikeouts. He hit 334 in his rookie year. He's actually projected by a lot of offensive metrics to win the batting title in 2021. If that happens, and if he plays as well, if he hits as well as he's been hitting, the only thing that's going to stop him is not having enough at bats to qualify. Only LeMahieu and Tim Anderson had higher batting averages than he did last year. He just didn't qualify because he didn't have the necessary number of bats. So I guess it is a good position for the Twins to be in that a guy that could potentially win the AL batting title isn't even in a starting role. You just have that much, that many better options ahead of him. But Arias, I really think, is a guy that the Twins are going to want to get involved. He can play a bunch of different middle infield positions. And the same could be said for Williams Astudillo. La Tortuga, that's his nickname, the turtle. He's going to be more behind the plate, uh, potentially in that DH role, potentially at first base if... Uh, Sano, Cruz, or Garver are struggling slash need a day off. Uh, I'm sorry, not Garver. That's Ryan Jeffers, who I'll get into in a second. But Williams Astudillo, Astudillo in 2020, he had 250, flat 100 OPS plus. He has just 13 strikeouts in 317 career plate appearances. 13! That's unbelievable. He isn't trusted enough defensively for that full-time role. That's what's preventing him from being on the field more option. But man, if he keeps putting up those numbers, 
He's really valuable in a pinch hitter role. He can get on base. He doesn't swing and miss. That is valuable for the Twins. And then the last guy I mentioned him. If Mitch Garver struggles, you will see a lot of Ryan Jeffers. He'll be a rookie. 273 in 26 games last year. He made he had a lot of high impact time because Garver was struggling so much. And I truly do think that this could be a serious potential uh, position battle down the stretch, depending on which guy is producing at a higher clip. So those are the positional breakdowns. Let's move to starting pitchers. You'll see in a lot of new faces here. Last year, actually, the combination of all five starters that I'll go through that combined for a 3.53 ERA, 9.3 Ks through 9, and held opponents to a 208 batting average. That is pretty damn good for a lot of these lower profile names that I will go through. The first guy is not low profile. It's the Twins ace, Kenta Maeda. So he was actually acquired from the Dodgers last spring in the three-team Boston LA, Minnesota trade. The Twins had to give up Bruce Dar Gratterall for Maeda, who at that point was a solid late rotation piece in this Dodgers starting rotation. Didn't really do much, but had some good stuff. The Twins really took a risk, especially because Gratterall was so high in their system. And man, did it pay off. In 2020, he finished second in AL Cy Young voting. 11 starts, 2.70 ERA, almost 11 strikeouts per nine innings, and opponents hit 168 against him. If Maeda can prolong that through a full 160 game season, 162 game season, he can get 25 plus starts. He is potentially the team MVP in 2021, and I think he can. And it's just so unbelievable that the Dodgers pretty much gave Maeda up without a second thought, and he turned into this true ace in Minnesota. Maybe it's the small market aspect of it. Maybe it's just the ability to be the number one guy versus the number four guy in a rotation as strong as the Dodgers, but Maeda really came into his own and earned those Cy Young votes. Of course, he had to finish behind Shane Bieber, who had one of the best pitching performance in baseball history. But behind him, Jose Barrios is number two. I think they they also have a pretty strong one-two punch. In Barrios's last seven starts of the season was much better than his first couple. He finished with a 2.79 ERA, struck out 44 hitters in just over 38 innings pitched. This guy is consistent, if nothing else. His numbers aren't elite, but his ERA has been between the 3.7 and a 4 range the past four seasons. I think that stays the same in 2021. A new face behind Barrios is J-Hap. Came over from the Yankees. Again, a 3-4 option for the Yankees that they really didn't even think twice about re-signing. And he goes to Minnesota and is a high-impact player. So I don't know for both the Dodgers and the Yankees. If that means that the Dodgers and the Yankees are just so uber-talented that to have a guy like Maeda or Hap fans kind of groan about because they know they're not the best pitchers in the organization whereas when they go to Minnesota they're heralded as the second coming and really as pitchers they're gonna bring this franchise to the the postseason and further I think more so the former than the latter but hey you never know J-Hap I think has been better 
than a lot of Yankees fans will give him credit for. 2020, in fact, he had his career best swinging strike rate. Behind him, another face, new face, Matt Shoemaker, came over from the Blue Jays. Matt Shoemaker has good stuff. I think the Twins definitely, he warranted the flyer deal. With that being said, he has only pitched a total of 166 innings since 2017. So how much workload can you really put on him? And then Michael Pineda, workload is something he definitely doesn't have to deal with. But as a number five guy, you're not expecting him to put up some of the really good numbers that he put up in the past. That being said, over 31 total starts with the Twins, he has a 3.91 ERA, struck out 165, and walked only 35 in 172 innings. So he is truly a workhorse. He came off that suspension. He pitched well afterwards. And I think he slots in well as a five guy. None of these guys are jumping off the pages, besides Maeda. I truly think Maeda is elite. But Barrios, Hap, Shoemaker, and Pineda are guys that are going to have to overperform. That being said, the Twins have so much depth, just like they do positionally. They also have so much depth in the bullpen that A, they're prepared if one of those guys goes down, and B, even if they're struggling, maybe you get a crazy year from Randy Dobnek. Or maybe you get a crazy year from Lewis Thorpe, and maybe he subs in for Michael Pineda or Matt Shoemaker and so forth. So again, the Twins have just so much flexibility to work with, and that's just an ode to how successful the past few years have been for them in the offseason, acquiring good draft picks, being active in free agency so that they can really count on their depth when it matters most. Especially in this 2021 season. How many times have I said it now? You can't put too many innings on your starting pitchers because coming off of the shortened 2020 season, you have to worry about injuries. So I'll mention some of those guys. I think Devin Smeltzer, Lewis Thorpe, and Randy Dobnak are the three starters, quote-unquote, that will start in the bullpen just because I think that five that I just mentioned is pretty set in stone. But if there's a bullpen day, maybe Dobnik takes four or five innings. Same with Smeltzer, Thorpe. They're all very high, highly rated. Randy Dobnik, especially, an incredible story. He used to be an Uber driver. He's had a 3-1-2 ERA over 75 innings pitched. He's not getting the, the stage that he really deserves just because there are some people ahead of him in the pecking order. But now let's move to the legitimate bullpen, the guys who will be in closing positions since hiring their manager, Rocco Bardelli, the Twins' relief pen has had the AL's fifth best ERA, has ranked third in strikeout rate, and second in WPA, wins probability added. Again, not a lot of sexy names, but the Twins' bullpen is really legit. Really, really legit. I think I give the Twins' bullpen a slight edge over the White Sox' bullpen even though the White Sox went out and got the best reliever in baseball in Liam Hendricks. The Twins, I, I, how many times am I going to say flexibility in this episode, but it is so unbelievably true. They had Tyler Taylor Rogers, who led the team in saves the last two years. 30 saves in 2019 has been excellent for them. They also have Tyler Duffy, who in the past two seasons has had a 2-3-1 ERA over 110 strikeouts opponents hit under 200 against him. Then they went out 
and signed Alex Colomay, who used to be a division rival. Colomay has had the third most saves in baseball since 2016. Second best ERA among right-handed relievers since 2016. They also went out and added Hansel Robles, who even though he was miserable in 2020, he's had a 3.58 ERA with 340 strikeouts from 2015 to 2019. There are so many avenues the Twins can take if they're in a jam in the 7-8-9 innings. And that's why Rocco Baldelli this spring has kind of embraced the closerless role, and I think that's more PR than anything. I think there's going to be a bona fide closer come May on this team, whether it be Colome, Rogers, or Robles. But to have that many good options to go to, to try out all these guys, and to put a little competition Guys like that, now they can beat out somebody else for the role. And while every bullpen piece is necessary, while every inning is necessary, a lot of these guys who have seen time in the ninth, who have acquired these saves, are going to want to go out there and hold down that role. So I think competition will be good. There are just so many names in this Twins bullpen that could make an impact. And and that's not even saying another elite year from Duffy. So I'm really excited to see what the Twins bullpen can do. I'll finish up with prospects before I go on to my philosophy on the Twins. You have Royce Lewis, the shortstop that I mentioned. Unfortunately, he's out for the year because of a torn ACL. I think he potentially slots into an opening day role in 2022. If the Twins don't sign back Angelton Simmons, he ranks number 17 on MLB's top 100 prospects list. Alex Kirilov, who I've talked a lot about, number 26 on that top 100 list. And then behind him, you have Trevor Larnick, the outfielder, comes in at 80. And Jordan Balazovic, the pitcher, right-handed pitcher, comes in at number 97. Those guys are a bit further behind in development than guys like Lewis or Kirilov, but still pieces of this very plentiful Twins farm system, something they can definitely be proud of. Again, Twins, another very well-led team. They have a major league-ready team that is competing in the playoffs year in and year out. They have a very good farm system that they're continuing to bolster, and I think that puts teams in the perfect situation because when they're buyers at the deadline and they need one more piece to get them over the edge, they can utilize that farm system to go out and get a high-impact guy. If they don't perform as well as they hope to this season, they have the farm system next year to help bail them out. So I think the Twins are in the perfect spot. Pakoda has them at 91 wins, finishing first in the Central. I've actually already done my Cleveland Indians season preview, and I've already done my Chicago White Sox season preview. So if you listen to those, you know that I have the White Sox slightly edging out the Twins. The main reasons for that is because I think the 1-2-3 starting rotation of Lucas Giolito, Dallas Keuchel, and Lance Lynn is better than Kenta Maeda and Jose Barrios. I think there's a huge drop-off after those two guys. And I think the White Sox have a higher ceiling because of the young core of batters that they have. They didn't perform to expectations in 2020, but I think we haven't even seen what Luis Robert can do. We haven't even really seen what Eloy Jimenez can do. And we know just how good Max Kepler can be. We know that Nelson Cruz is going to go out there and hit 35-plus home runs. Those White Sox players might not do that, but they also might do that, and we just don't know yet. 
So I think the, si the ceiling is higher for the White Sox. That's why I give them the slight edge. But I have the White Sox under 90 wins. So I'm going to go under for these Twins. At un I'm going to go in the 87 to 90 range because I think the White Sox will finish in the 87 to 90 range. I do think it'll be a one or two game difference. And I do think that the Twins make the playoffs. They're just going to get a wild card berth. AL Central is really, really tight. The Indians are much, much lower than them. So while I don't have the Twins finishing first, I do have them making the playoffs, and I am really high on this team. And it's because they've just done such a good job of constructing this roster and giving themselves fail-safes in case somebody gets hurt. And I hope nobody gets hurt because I'd love to see Jorge Polanco have another healthy season and perform like he did in 2019. I'd love to see Mitch Garver return to 2019 form. I'd love to see Nelson Cruz hit 40 homers again. Same with Byron Buxton hitting maybe 30 as a fully healthy center fielder. I want to see Kenta Maeda be as good as he was in 2020 on a full 162-game schedule. And I'm so excited to see how general manager Rocco Baldelli deals with the tandem of Hansel Robles... Taylor Rogers and Alex Colomay in the pen. Having that many options elevates this team to such a different level. And while Liam Hendricks is still better than all those guys, maybe quantity over quality in this case because it's the bullpen and because you can't throw Hendricks out there every single day. So while I don't think they have as high of a ceiling and I don't think they're as exciting to watch as the White Sox just because you don't have Tim Anderson, Yohan Mankata, Jimenez, Robert, Giolito, all the guys that I've mentioned before. The Twins are going to be very good, and I hope so much for them that this can finally be the year where they break their playoff win streak. They get that first win since 2004. Because if the Twins can shed that, that's just going to carry. That's such a weight on their shoulders that they don't need. And hopefully... I think Josh Donaldson bounces back to form. He's another guy that I forgot to mention. I truly think this team rides or dies with health concerns. And if all their players can stay healthy, they're going to have a massive season. If everybody stays healthy, I would not be surprised if the Twins go over 90 wins. And I do think it is neck and neck for who wins the AL Central. So that'll wrap up my Minnesota Twins season preview. As I've mentioned in all these episodes, make sure to check out the link in the bio of this episode to check out all my previous season previews that I had posted on SoundCloud before moving over to the Did You Hear podcast feed. So get excited, people. We're only nine days away from opening day. Once again, thank you for listening, and make sure to tune in tomorrow for my season preview of the New York Yankees.